Hello, the audience. Welcome to the inaugural episode of They Came From the Silver Screen. I am Josh Trigenza, and I am here with my co-host... Damien Danaher, it is a pleasure to meet you also, a faceless internet audience who numbers, I'm sure, at least into the single digits. For the moment, of course. Uh, <laughs> of course. They... Look, we, 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 we dream larger, but we are... Exactly, exactly. And, yeah, so They Care From The Silver Screen is a podcast about films and society and how they both influence one another and riff off each other. For our first one, we have a fucking doozy. An absolute doozy. Also, we're actually swearing in this podcast. Is that a is that a, a decision that we've just made? Yep, we started, I, I set it up with the explicit, and um, we can make a choice if it's clean at the end, but uh, this is, won't be one, I can assure you of that. <laughs> Thank fuck for that, because I, I, did, I was so worried about having to watch my language throughout this entire thing. I'm so happy that, uh, I mean, I assume like the, the worst ones are kind of off the cards just for you know, advertising purposes, God forbid that we actually get sponsors at any point in uh, the career of this, uh, you know, machine that we've created. But uh, for the moment, at least sort of uh, generalistic curses are sweet. Are we Are we yeah. giving that an okay right now? I think that's fine. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Unless any potential sponsors <laughs> deem otherwise. Yes. If there are any sponsors out there that uh, not only value... Uh, high-quality curses, but also happen to be purveyors of uh, strong liquor, we would love to hear from you. Um, contact us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook. So, uh, yep, just uh, just saying, just saying. Oh, well, speaking, speaking of, Josh, what, what is your uh, poison tonight? Uh, tonight, I am drinking the Old Faithful, Jack Daniels. It has gotten me through it all. Except no substitutes. Well, uh, my I'm, I'm choosing the beverage, uh, my wallet's beverage of choice, I should say, which is the cheapest, whitest wine that uh, my uh, bottle shop could provide. But uh, indeed, uh, stiff drinks are necessary here, I feel, because um, we have chosen, uh, quite ambitiously, I suppose one could say, although you could say that about anyone involved in this film, I guess, joke, but uh, no, our first film for our inaugural podcast, God Help Us All, is Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. <sighs> this was a film. Thank you. I just wanted to pause for that. I knew it was coming. I knew, I knew that sigh was coming. It's quite curious, mate, because um, uh, when we first sort of discussed doing this uh, podcast and... Uh, setting everything up and everything like that, especially when we came to comic book movies, I had this grandiose notion that uh, what we'd actually do was we'd set up this sort of uh, contrary discussion thing where uh, we'd have the layman perspective, which would come from me. And uh, I suppose what I'd say, I'm not, I'm not an absolute slouch when it comes to comic book lore, um, but, you know, I'm certainly not an absolute expert versus the manifest expert in uh, these uh, matters, which is you yourself, good sir, in the hopes that we could actually sort of uh, try and have this uh, really fascinating, you know, contrary discussion on uh, <clears throat> how the film was going to be about and we'd have conflicting views and there'd be some uh, fantastic conversations. And I kind of am worried that that's uh, completely fallen flat as an aspiration because I feel that our opinions are pretty, pretty much aligned on uh, this film. And I, I kind of, 
I mean, I guess we should just start with the, the most basic summation possible in 25 words. Actually, no, just, uh, you know, one sentence. Sum up, sum up uh, this movie for me. Oh, fuck. <laughs> All right. It is about Batman and Superman versing one another for God knows why too long. Far too long. And other things happen in it. All right, so I guess we should... <laughs> before Josh has an aneurysm, I guess we should try and sort of um, state some kind of... Uh, I was, yeah, I was going to say that... Yeah, that's, we've got to that's unpack gonna, that. We've got that's going to gonna need some serious deconstruction in a second, but I guess we should backtrack slightly and actually just sort of uh, discuss um, what, the, what, the, what the mission statement of, of these sorts of discussions should be. I suppose the, the beauty of this is uh, we kind of don't really know exactly what form these discussions will take at the moment. I suppose over time we'll have a kind of more structured uh, notion of how to discuss a movie, but um, at least for this one, I think it's going to be a bit more sort of, um, you know, shooting from the hip, flying by the sort of uh, pants, which I guess is, is kind of appropriate in a way because I, I feel like this is a movie that we do actually both feel like for very you know, separate reasons and for similar reasons feel very strong. Absolutely. I think um, where the differences are is the severity that we feel them in. Absolutely, yes. Because um, I feel betrayed by this film. Right. I feel betrayed by it after uh, numerous, numerous films from Warner Brothers that have led me astray. Well, let's um, let's let's take it back then uh, to the the birth, let's say, of this you know new iteration of you know uh, Warner Brothers' attempt to basically do the uh, what what's their version of the MCU? What are they calling it? The the DC multiverse? Well, it's just the DC. It's just the DC universe. I don't right. I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. They, I don't think that I I quite liked. Um, Someone was saying on the Twitterverse, uh, saying that this is uh, the Murderverse, the DC Murderverse. Oh God! Well, yeah. Well, well, God, we'll get we'll get to that in a second. But um, I suppose um, if we if we if we tackle sort of uh, your, your viewpoint on on these movies, as like uh, I should I should uh, point out, uh, a, a full blown bona fide, you know, DC fan of the classical Absolutely. sense. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I so... Love I love mean, it. I have it tattooed on my body. I have Shazam. I have the New Gods. I have... You Green got the Green Lantern, Lantern Corps, man. Yeah, I got it all covered up. Uh, Let it be known to the audience that I have I, seen every inch of uh, Josh and all his tattoos and its glory, and uh, frankly, the, how that happened is in an entirely different podcast. Absolutely, we can we can get into that later. But what we I'd actually, yeah, fry. oh gosh, we do. Um, so, like I said, what I, I suppose I'd like to uh, go back to and uh, maybe try and deconstruct is how we got to this point that we are at right now. And I can't understand that we're kind of working backwards here, but um, I suppose I, what I want to kind of try and understand is how we got to this point here, how we got to a movie that let's just go on the record as saying neither of us thought was very good to put it mildly. No. 
and didn't think it was going to be very good uh, for a large chunk of the laborious marketing season that it had. Mm, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, like yeah. a year? No, Maybe bro, two? like a- 18 months, man, because they, uh, <sighs> they, they kicked us off towards the, the they, they, they threw the first teaser out, I think, at the start of uh, 2015. <sighs> So, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, beyond anything else, if you start hyping a movie a year and a half before it ever comes out, I I honestly don't see how expectations are going to be met. But leaving aside aside BBS for the second, I want to try and track back for a moment and sort of work out how we we got to this point. This might turn into a very long, protracted discussion and maybe we'll, uh, you know, sort of edit this down for the... but yeah, for the final for the final edit or anything like that. But um, you know, because I mean, like uh, beyond any doubt in my mind, the the birth of all of this basically comes from uh, Chris Nolan back in two thousand and five. Absolutely, yeah. This is not something you know. the The current universe started with uh, Man of Steel, which we can talk about in another thing. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It all started uh, off the. Uh, Success of the uh, Nolan verse, yeah, of the uh, the Batman trilogy, and I think like um, I think you, you you said it you said it best um, I think way back when when we were first watching uh, I think Dark Knight or something like that all the way back in I think two thousand and oh heavens five I think is when um, yeah when it. Five or six or something like that. I'm trying. I'm. I'm. I'm struggling to remember, and I'm sure people will correct us after the fact. Um, but uh, they will. They. Oh gosh, they will. No, it was 2008. I remember now. It was 2008. The Dark Knight came out, and um, I think you stated quite correctly that uh, basically through. I mean, I mean, Nolan. I don't think anyone would accuse him of being an emotional director. No, I mean even it, yeah, no. He, he understands that there are things called emotions in the world. Absolutely. I just, I think, I don't think he feels. <laughs> I think he's read about them in books. <laughs> I think, like, I, I call, I call him like the closest thing we've got to Kubrick in, uh, you know, this current world. I mean, you look at something like Interstellar, and I understand I'm going off the path here, but I mean, you look at something like that, and that is so grounded in scientific facts, so. Uh, truly embrace, trying to embrace at least, I suppose, the notion of like absolute scientific accuracy within uh, a fantastical realm. But uh, there was also that desperation. I mean, I just I say desperation. I suppose I'm not sure that might be derogatory on my part. But his uh, attempt to try and root all of these uh, fantastical human uh, endeavors back to just this grandiose notion of love exploration to the fourth dimension all that sort of stuff about how love can transcend all of that it always felt analytical in its um execution i mean you look at something like inception what like what other what other director would um think that anyone's dream world would basically be some sort of um (laughs) uh mc escher painting like of just endless, you know, staircases and architectural wonders. Nothing fantastical, nothing, for the lack of a better word, Terry Gilliam about it. No, it was very much steeped in a 
a real world. Exactly. And I guess that after the... I mean, look, I, I suppose I'll, I'll leave, you know, other people to decide exactly where the Joel Schumacher Batmans lie. But, I mean, I, I honestly feel that after Batman and Robin, that bringing someone like Nolan on who was so finite and precise in his execution was a deliberate course correction on Warner Brothers' front to try and make him relevant. And if, there, if, there, if, if there's nothing else in... Um, Nolan's Batman movies that you could really grasp hold of as in terms of ideology. It is nothing if not uh, a post 9-11 world. Incredibly cynical, incredibly grounded uh, notions of good and evil are incredibly grey. Mm. And I, oh, I, I think that not only was the um, reaction uh, of, you know, of bringing in Nolan. So bringing in Nolan was a reaction to uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man as well. Um, but mm. Warner Brothers, as is their want to do, uh, takes it too far. Um, they go, oh, well, we, we have to do, you know, they made uh, Spider-Man a little more real, that he had uh, realistic web shooters and all of that. And he was just a little more down to earth and all of that. He was a little more steeped in that. They took that, they saw it, and they went, all right, well, we have to do something real as well. We have to take it away from the uh, more charlatan sort of Batman that they had from the Schumacher and made it real. 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 And that's, I think, is their mistake. And I think that what Nolan did was... um, I'll, I'll interrupt you for one second because I... I don't think you could say it better than you actually said it yourself back when we first watched oh, please, Dark Knight in 2008. Do. You said this is not a Batman movie. This is a film noir that happens to have Batman in it. Absolutely. And the main character of it is Bruce Wayne trying not to be Batman. He exactly. Just stumbled into being Batman, much like a noir film where it's the reluctant hero. Mm. Where if he could find a way out, he would. And that, at its core, is not what Batman's about. He's that he's so into this war that he has created, even in his own mind, that this is it. This is exactly what I have to do with my life, and nothing will stop me. Which that's the thing. So I suppose in like in the in the source material, uh, I mean, you you can correct me if I'm wrong, but was there ever the level of self doubt in the in the comics that uh, Christian Bale's Batman had in the movies I there was only the times that I remember a lot of the ones when there was you know deaths in family you know when Robin had died um, when uh, Barbara Gordon uh, was uh, paralyzed um, where that sort of resolve was was uh, shaken to its core um, Batman as a character is supposed to be able to uh, confront any um, any uh, problem and uh, best it, but at a cost of his own self. You know, whether it be his sanity, um, his his loved one, you know, a semblance of a normal life, he'll give that up. 
Um, it's never... Um, he'll always give it up before it's taken away from him. Sure. Yeah, which um, the Dark Knight uh, didn't let him do. But Batman Begins, it kind of did, but... No, it was still taken away from him because Rachel didn't... Um, Rachel said no to him. And then Rachel died, so, you know, she was the one saving grace for him. That's a thing. So, I mean, I suppose I want to, like, uh, kind of toss things forward now, like, uh, with our understanding. Because, I mean, like, I suppose, like, Dark Knight was kind of the, the... That was the lightning rod of what you, I guess you would call the, the, the modern superhero film. Like, we've got the, the classics, which are just beautiful, like, you know, dyed-in-the-wall comic book movies, like the, the early-day X-Men movies yeah especially especially x-men 2 especially spider-man 2 i mean i i defy anyone to uh find a purer and more just viscerally and emotionally enjoyable film to watch than spider-man 2 if you're a fan of comic books absolutely it because i mean i guess i mean yeah it is absolute joy and i actually watched it again recently and i think it i mean like it's funnily enough i think it has to do with the fact that sam raimi you know, when he started out, he was doing these, like, just schlocky, you know, cheap body horror films. But, you know, nevertheless, if you've seen the Evil Dead films, audience, you'll understand that uh, they always found humour within the macabre. Mm. And, you know, understanding that there has to be this, you know, give and take between understanding that, I mean, obviously the stakes are high, but at the same time, you know, dude, it's, it's, it's a man spider battling a, a, robotic, a robotic octopus. Yeah. And, and, understand, and understanding the, hum, the humorous pathos that comes with that, but working it to your advantage. But also so much heart that was put into it and not just the heart of Spider-Man himself, but also of uh, Dr. Otto Octavius. Exactly. Uh, and it was just, oh, it was a fantastic I mean, that's, film. I mean, and, I mean that, that, that is truly a villain that you actually sympathise with. Absolutely. It was, it was so good. It was so good. And then, exactly. And that was, that was probably the, the end of the, um, I guess, the golden age of um, the golden age of uh, comic cinema, the classic, the classic comic yeah, cinema. Yeah, because then after yeah, absolutely. You had uh, Fantastic Four. You had Last Stand, um, and then like in two thousand and seven, you had Spider Man three and uh, the second Fantastic Four film. So that really was kind of that. That was the nail in the coffin because in that was that kind of yeah. Um, Dark Knight came out and Iron Man. So exactly. those are the two I, films I, that kind of I, started, well, I think uh, reaffirmed that, yes, this is a new age. This is the, you know, to use comic book terms, you know, this is the silver age of comic <laughs> book movies. Because, yeah, and I, had, I had actually, Iron Man came I had out, actually, yeah. Bam, bam. <laughs> yes. I had lamented from uh, mentioning Iron Man, of course, but I mean that they they both came out in the same year, obviously, mm. and it's actually you know I mean we we could I mean we and we probably should to be honest 
Otherwise, this will, this pro, this first episode will be you know three hours long. Hey, Civil War's we coming should, up we, soon, so we got time to do. Uh, ab, ab, absolutely, to but I mean, yeah, we should. I mean, you could devote a whole uh, other episode to uh, our those two movies basically forged uh, a fork in the road between how Marvel and DC approached their film. Absolutely, because they are both they are both set in a base in a, in a post 9-11 world and yet they treat themselves so differently yeah and i mean like they are they are nominally at least uh assuming that this does take place in the quote-unquote real world mm. you know to, you know they it is they both of these films in their own way make it very very clear that this is a grounded and realistic portrayal of what it would be like if these two broken men happen to exist in the world that we live in now. And, uh, I mean, not to delve into it too deeply, but I think that this is endemic to um, what we're very laboriously leading up to with um, our subject film. This is the issue with um, all what these latter-day DC films, um, well, at least one of them anyway, I would argue, is that Marvel found the the lightheartedness within the drama. They kept true to the source material, whereas I would argue that in uh, DC's desire not only to um, push forward with what financially was a sure thing after the, the tone and success of the Nolan films, but also in a, I would argue, desperate attempt to uh, try and differentiate themselves from the Marvel MCU, they have ploughed themselves into this quagmire of the, I can't think of another way to describe it, but the ultra real. Yeah. Yeah. This, 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 this uh, hyper-realised reality that is almost so cold and so brutal and so devoid of mercy or joy or any sort of shred of happiness that it actually kind of works as its own kind of perverse fantasy. A- absolutely. Well, it's it becomes... Um, oh, See, they changed... They, they chose the... I think they chose the wrong person to lead up a, a Nolan verse... Uh, which um, his biggest thing was a uh, deconstruction of superheroes themselves. That being, of course, exactly. the director of Batman versus Superman, Zack Snyder, who I think his best film to this day is Watchmen, which is a deconstruction Absolutely. of exactly that which he is now directing and creating a universe for. I'd thoroughly agree with you. Well, let's 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 talk about like Snyder for a second. I mean, uh, what is he to you as a director? I think he is a actually, 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 actually. I'll ask you a counter question. Mm-hmm. Considering that he's basically been passed the torch, what's the difference between Nolan and Snyder? Nolan doesn't do glitz and glamour for glitz and glamour's sake. Um, he is a very pragmatic filmmaker. Agreed. You know, as you were saying, um, 
earlier on that his uh, views of dreamlike uh, of dreamscapes are very real. These are things that you can see in the world uh, already, um, whether it be in like paintings or all that, but still very embedded in reality. Whereas uh, Snyder is Snyder is no a Nolan and Michael Bay love child. In that he that wants might actually to be... that might actually be the best uh, description of uh, Snyder I've ever heard. Because <laughs> he's he is a... <laughs> for, 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 for for all the good parts and all the bad. Absolutely, yeah. That is he is because no because I mean like, no it's funny you top. say that because of, yeah he's stylized as fuck, which you know in some regards is to his credit, but he also likes to keep I mean if, it if, real if, yo what, yeah. I mean, if you want to, if you, I mean, whether you like it or not, as a, you know, as any sort of self-respecting film lover, one has to acknowledge that the man is an auteur. He is the best at what he does. The problem is that he has a skill set that, if not used properly, results in a fucking disaster. And I think we saw... So we saw the good in, in Watchmen and 300. I think we saw the bad. Uh, we started to see it in Sucker Punch. Right. And then now with Men of Steel and uh, BVS, where it's that... Um, it's kind of an adaptation, it's, but it's not. It's, it's still its own thing. It's this weird hybrid. You can see that um, that dissonance and that where he's faltering. So, do you think that's it? Do you think that, uh, for lack of a better word, once his own sense of agency gets involved in the creation of a picture, that's where the problems start? I, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think from his point of view, I think that is exactly where, where it uh, where it starts. It's funny, yes, because I mean, uh, if you look at yeah, all his previous three films, uh, the the remake of the Dawn of the Dead, which was, I mean, he had he had ample source material to work from, three hundred, where he worked from the Frank Miller comic frame by frame to compose the, the film, same as he did with, uh, yep. you know, Watchmen, Alan Moore and uh, Dan Gibbons illustrating. He used the, the graphic novel mm-hmm. as a frame of reference. This is a man who is an absolute visualist. And when mm-hmm. he is given the material with which to manifest, if he's given you know room to work with uh, source material that is rich and fantastic, there are, there are no limits frankly, I would argue, to uh, the, the glories that he can manifest. I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, you know, people still talk about 300. And, I mean, as much as that it has kind of become, it is now 10 years old. And hmm. nevertheless, it still occupies this kind of place of, uh, I don't I don't know, quite what to call it but people still revere it as you know one of these one of the seminal action films of a certain generation's childhood I mean I, I saw yeah. it I saw it when I was 
graduating high school, this this seminal moment in like you know cusping manhood or whatever the fuck you want to call it or something like that's that's hyperbole, but at the same time it's also not because you saw this this glistening muscle bound manifestation of basically just some paint on a page, and you were like, that is it. I might as well be reading the comic, but it's even better. And it's it's Absolutely. it's it's through that. I mean, again, Watchmen. We could devote an entire, uh, you know, uh, discussion to just purely because of its absolute glorious and beautiful grandiosity, the slavish loyalty with which uh, the film was brought to life was just magnificent and you know to have so many people over so many years you know terry gilliam paul greengrass all these people basically say this shit is unfilmable and then this is the guy this is the guy that this is this is the guy that this this is the guy that made it happen to yeah he was the guy to make not only make the film as it as it was on the page, but also have the uh, the insight into making the right changes, um, and that's you know the changing of the end result, uh, the, the you know the end uh, the climax of the absolutely film instead of and the, I, the, and the, I, the, the I think that works to Manhattan think it's a fantastic it's, it's a actually I mean like dare know, I say it and I'm I'm gonna you know cop some ire for this but I honestly feel like it works better than the uh, ending in the uh, comic book. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with you there. It's, um, it falls... Uh, it, t- it leaves a better taste in the mouth than um, and just some something that gets popped in, you know, a, a Deus Ex Machina. Basically, yes. At the end of it to be like, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, it made, which uh, is, it made yeah. um, sense within the story. Which is why just to leave it alone and try to like laboriously crawl towards uh, what we're actually meant to be talking about. Oh. God forbid. We- can you, can you tell audience that we really don't want to talk about this film? <laughs> we've been, we've been avoiding this for almost, uh, you know, close to close, close to half an hour now. So, uh, but we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to try We're going to, we're going to have a crack. We're going to have a, we're going to have a red hot go at this. Okay. But um, to take that, and understand that this is a man who, you know, look, I have to assume that he understands, you know, comic books. See, the way he talks about them in interviews, the way he discusses the characters, this is a man who has a deep-seated understanding of, you know, both the source material and the players that occupy them. And if Watchmen is any indication also possesses at least a cursory narrative uh, understanding of how you can interpret said source material to make it better for a film audience, which is why I am absolutely fucking dumbfounded as to um, what happened with Man of Steel mm-hmm. and what happened with Batman v Superman. Yeah. He, there was such high hopes with him. I feel like, I feel like just for the sake of clarity at this point, we should try in the most, I don't know, like, uh, basic way possible 
to elucidate what our actual beef uh, with the movie is. I th- okay, so I think the main issue I have with Batman vs Superman is that is, is the the fact that it is this this strange hybrid of trying to trying to be Dark Knight Returns, which is another Frank Miller uh, comic that he is trying to riff off. Absolutely, uh, but also uh, telling this like this disjointed Men of Steel universe that they've that he's created, uh, trying to have his cake and eat it too. It's just there's so much going on with it that it is that is disjointed. There are just so many points that come up that you just go, no, this, oh, this, oh, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. This isn't paced correctly. Do you it spe- is do, do, a do, do mess you, of a film. Do you speak uh, of that as uh, as the DC fan, or do you just speak of that as a cinema guy? Because I mean, I I, I know people. Uh, there are people out there that uh, don't mind it. There are people who 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 love it. I think it's got a thirty four percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a seventy two percent like a critics thing of thirty four percent, seventy two percent of uh, of audience members liking this film. So how do you how do you account for that disjoint in opinion? What's the difference? Uh, what what are the critics looking for that the audience isn't? A good film. They're looking for a good film. Right. Um, whereas audience members, um, they are okay with an okay film. They, um, th- we saw it with uh, you know, numerous Transformer films. People will go and see that film um, just because of the spectacle of it. And, you know, as I said before, he, you know, Snyder is the love child of Nolan and... Uh, and Michael Bay, and he does a bit of spectacle, right? So I think that's what pulls it in. And it has brand names, so um, fanboy apologists can kind of get behind it and go, yep, that's the, that's, those are the people. Right. So, I mean, uh, I guess what, I, what I'd ask now is, um, as, as someone, uh, if, we, if we go you know, down the, the canon route for a second... As someone who is utterly familiar mm-hmm. with, with you know, obviously the, the Miller comics and you know the stories, and I mean, you know, I, you know, I mean, like, do we need to do spoiler? Do we need to do a spoiler alert? Yeah, sure. Spoiler alert. This is a bad film. You shouldn't go see it. But you know, if you want to go see it, don't listen to this at the moment. Watch it. Come back to it. There you go. We'll be waiting for you. There we go. K- there we go. Caveat done. All right, so understanding that basically this film, you know, uh, crimps from, you know, The Dark Knight Returns and also The Death of Superman, I mean, like, you know, understanding the, the source material as you do, mate, like, what, what, in the transition between that and the film, like, what got lost? Because something, because something, because something got lost. Even, even for, even, even from my perspective. Okay, so what got lost, what... Okay, Death of Superman, um, I'll get that out of the way first because it's a quick one. It's just the fact that it's do- at the end of it, Doomsday shows up. Well, a thing that is called Doomsday shows up and uh, fights Superman. That's 
that's it. That's all it is. That's the only thing that they, they bring about in there. And then maybe, you know, the relationship of, uh, of uh, Lois and Superman. Because, um, you know, fuck alter egos in this universe as well too, right? There's <laughs> barely anything, uh, any difference between Clark Kent and Superman. Um, but with um, Dark Knight uh, Returns, it's not... It's curious. I want to. I want to. I, I want to remember that point for a second. The difference between mm. Clark and Superman, because I want to come back yeah. to that in a minute. But sorry, Matt, continue. Um, yeah, Dark Knight Returns is not a canon storyline. It is a. Um, it is a what DC calls an Elseworlds tale. It is not set in the main universe. It is set in a universe where um, superheroes are banned. Um, Superman is a uh, is a tool of a uh, Reagan-esque uh, government, and Batman has been out of retirement for quite some time, and only due to a new bad that he comes back, and um, he starts starts being what Batman is, he starts uh, writing wrongs. I mean, this this sound this sound this sounds beat for beat like Watchmen to me. And it now. is, and and Snyder has said it himself that uh, Batman versus Superman is the uh, spiritual successor to Watchmen. If you're trying to start a universe, which is what this film is trying to do, this is trying to play catch up to uh, the Marvel universe, like the absolute clappers. You don't do something. You if if you want to try and play catch up. You shouldn't use a source material that is at the finality of these characters, uh, let alone it being outside of a regular universe, uh, so that the characters that you're that you're reading that you are not uh, the same ones. They are riffing off uh, history um, and current storylines that you are reading mm. right now. You need that back. Um, you know, you need that knowledge beforehand to be able to go. Oh, this, you know, this is a this is a good story, and people who who think that Dark Knight Returns is a good story, I think they require uh, that background knowledge to be like, yes, I understand what these characters were, and this is really fun to see them like this. Right. Now it's the same reason why it's, um, you know, there's the storyline called Red Sun. Where, um, where Superman is, uh, you know, the literal Ubermunch. I think, no, Red Sun, he is a Russian dictator in that. He was the son of Stalin. There was a Nazi Superman one. Sure. He was, the, you know, he was raised by Hitler. Correct me if I'm wrong, was there a, was there a storyline where like Zod doing... was basically aligned with the Soviets? Oh, there must have been. So that's funny, just because I mean, I was watching Man of Steel again the other day, and uh, you know, uh, Zod's chest plate looked enormously like uh, a hammer and sickle to me. Mm. I think that was, um, you know, Superman was, you know, he did, uh, he was born in the, you know, the fifties and all that, and he did come out of all of that um, that red scare thing so I, I using the hammer and sickle uh, 
would have been uh, appropriate for Zod. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of stories, that, like there are a lot of Elseworld stories that talk about um, Superman or Batman uh, different from what they are. And that's where Dark Knight Returns really does well in. It's not supposed to be part... It's not supposed to be canon. It's not supposed to be uh, definitive interpretations of any characters within it. I think it was a bad thing to, uh, right. to utilise. So I suppose... Um, I guess I might sort of try and... Uh, give my take then on this as uh, if not a layman per se or at least more of like a, a classical viewer and that I was you know being ignorant to maybe you know the, the, the true manifestations of the source material and all that sort of stuff I mean I've got my cursory sort of knowledge of everything but I mean I kind of just walk into it trying to judge it on its own merits if nothing else which I suppose, which I, which I, yeah. I would assume is what uh, they kind of hope for people to do. No, or, Snyder. Yeah. Well, Snyder and Warner Brothers in general, I suppose. <laughs> but um, mm. I mean, like for the, I mean, the opening of the movie. I honestly have to say, for the first twenty minutes of that film, I I genuinely thought it was going to be great. Because you have... I was surprised by that. By the opening or by my opinion? By right. your opinion of I suppose, that. like, just yeah. but from, yeah, a, from a... Yeah. All right, from, my, from my standpoint, the, uh, I guess, the, the big, you know, overarching question or opinion or grievance, I guess, people had, like, uh, you know, to the end of Man of Steel was the absolutely outrageous amount of collateral damage you know loss of life destruction of you know cities whatever whatever you want to call it that was basically the like the massive takeaway mm -hmm. from the end of man of steel was like who the fuck does this guy think he is and i guess they could have been talking about superman and snyder depending on like who the viewer was but i mean like you know this is not the uh you know, the red, white, and blue saviour of the of the comics and everything like that, of what are traditional notions, you know, Christopher Reeve and all that sort of stuff. Like, this is, like, you know... I mean, you look at those movies, like, the, the tagline was, you can believe a man will fly. I mean, I watched that Man of Steel, and I was like, I can believe a man will uh, let a million people die and not feel too bad about it afterwards. So, I mean, I kind of... I, re I Oh, but he's making great strides in construction. I mean, they got that shit back oh, together in yeah, 18 months. That's town, amazing. Like, you know, the construction teams in Metropolis just hey, Matt, doing Halliburton, fantastic work. Uh, you know, we've got a lot to thank. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I suppose I liked the opening of that movie because it, uh, it did what Snyder does best, where he basically takes, you know, excuse me for saying so, he takes cookie-cutter sentimentalism and then through just the sheer fuck-offness of his visuals, elevates it to this almost operatic mm. 
uh, sense of cathartic execution. Because, I mean, uh, it has to be... I've lost count of the number of times, you know, we've, we've seen Bruce's parents cop it on screen, whether, whether small or yeah. big. So, I mean, that, that's... I think they did it in every Schumacher film. They certainly film. did, multiple and, times. Uh, all of the Kate, um, mm-hmm. Burton films. But, I mean, so, I mean, like, look, that in and of itself wasn't too special, and I kind of, like, I mean, look, you've got to establish the new Batman fine on a absolutely cursory, you know, establishing narrative basis. I get that. You've got to do that. You have to assume that there's people that haven't seen a single Batman movie Fine, whatever. But hmm. then to juxtapose it with uh, this moment of uh, taking the climax of Man of Steel but then flipping the switch so that you actually see it from the pitiful human perspective to, to see the, the true, the unknownness of it all, the terror of it all. And yes, as before, Snyder leans on 9-11 tropes like no one's business. It's almost shameless how much he's trying to evoke that. He, he did what he did what Nolan uh, made allusions to. That could be He literally gave us I was gonna say nine eleven. That could be uh, the absolute definition of both of those guys to the end of time. But mm. Snyder shows what Nolan alludes to. Yeah. At least in these kinds of movies. But um, leaving aside the, the... which kind of carries on later, you know, the, the notion of uh, you know Superman being accountable and everything like that, I like the juxtaposition of uh, Bruce Wayne losing his professional family after he'd already lost his personal family. And for me, it gave, at least in the movie, a really strong cinematic impetus for why he had such uh, an animosity towards Superman. Because if if you just took it on that he was just like, this guy's a danger on some kind of nationalistic global level and I have my doubts about him. I wouldn't have believed for a second. But if you play into the notion of basically the the act by this, well, for lack of a better word, alien, basically really pressing on the nerve of this childhood trauma that has now been doubled down tenfold, it, it, it... it frames the movie in a way that I could understand. I accepted the premise of the film based on the opening of it. The problem was that after that happened, they squandered the ever-loving Christ out. See, I really enjoyed the starting scene. So, the, the, you know, of, of Ben Affleck, who plays Bruce Wayne and Batman... Um, running around, acting the shit out of it. He's he's free to do what he is he is good at. I love that bit. The fact that he then um, 
you know, Bruce Wayne and then uses this event to then um, go on his vendetta um, makes sense until you realise that he's been doing this for 20 years and he's lost a lot of people during that time. As you can see by uh, the Robin suit in, um, in the glass. So right. he's been doing this for a real long time. He's been doing it for 18 years at that point. No, because normally you've been doing it for which, which segues, which which segues quite perfectly, I, I, I think, into uh, a beef that uh, both you and I had that was uh, very, very strong, which is a true sense of narrative dissonance. I, I, uh, a, like a really true sense of narrative Absolutely. dissonance and disconnect. I don't know. I don't know quite. I don't know quite know who's truly to blame. Whether it's uh, you know Chris Terrio and your favourite man of all time, David S. Goyer, fucking Goyer, or the editor whose uh, name I fear escapes me. But the composition of that film was an absolute atrocity, just in terms of the uh, compilation of the the varying storylines. Absolutely. The opening of the film in the first, you know, 20 to 30 minutes had about six to seven different narrative threads that were introduced and then maybe you didn't see them for, you know, another half hour, 40 minutes or something like that. They were then brought back and, you know, we were meant to think that, you know, and uh, understand exactly what they meant. Yeah, and I think the best, um, like, you look at all of the Superman stuff at, at the start, you know, all the, um, the, all the Messiah imagery and all of that, it's nice and slow, it's measured sort of thing, and then you cut back to Lex Luthor, where it's just exposition overload, it's just talky, 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 look at this, we found this, we do this, we do that, I think this, this is my, you know, this is... This is basically why I'm doing everything that I'm doing. Hello, Senator. Hello. No, hello, other Senator. I can't remember the bald guy's name that Lex Luthor makes suck a lolly. Uh, you know, iterations of you know, Lex Luthor or anything like that. Like, you know, what, 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 your thoughts on, on Eisenberg? Okay, so, okay, so apparently this is, um, apparently Eisenberg uh, was going to be the Jimmy Olsen of, um, of this film. That's what I did read yeah, that, yeah. But then they said, Oh, you know what would be cool? If we just make the person we want as Jimmy Olsen to be Lex Luthor. Wouldn't that be a laugh? Which That's a pretty that's a pretty that's a pretty strong like jump in logic. That's a pretty big jump. And it's that's oh, if it like you've you surely if you're casting, you've got the you know, you've got the screenplay together and you've got the characters formed. Was that the same character, or was the fact that it was um, that it was former Mark Zuckerberg uh, playing the role that now they'll make him into uh, the uh, the tech startup uh, billionaire? Well, he was basically a programmer asshole. I'm pretty sure it, like it seemed like so very very transparent yeah. that it was basically Zuckerberg with even less moral. Yeah, which you is know, just playing uh, off what. <laughs> A character Jesse Eisenberg had already played. 
By the same token, I suppose you could argue the same of Ben Affleck, to be perfectly honest here, as well as Superman. I mean, this is, this is an actor and a guy who's been shat on for an absolute, like, you know, a lot of his career. And, uh, you know, he play and he, you know, so when he plays into that kind of, like, just haggard world weariness, you kind of almost believe it just mm. on... Uh, and it doesn't... I think... Um, I think where... Uh, they utilised Eisenberg's previous uh, performances. Um, Affleck was under the shadow of uh, Bale's Batman as well. That helped inform the time frame. As, 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 as there was Which no is, way that he couldn't um, be, yeah. Apples and oranges. For one thing, I liked Affleck's Batman. For all the ill of the... Uh, the film mm. itself, I think. A, I think. For, I think. Uh, I, I think the Batman film yeah. that will be uh, fast approaching um, will actually be really good. Well, they're they're saying they're they're saying there'll be three. Oh, really? They want him for a new trilogy, man. Don't know how I feel about that. I even know what to think about that. Yeah, I don't know. Because once again, that, he's twenty years fucking into this. A grim sense of foreboding, I guess, is what I feel about this. Yeah. Well, let's 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 go back to the, just the problems of the story in uh, general. Narrative points that just straight up scuttled the rest of the movie. So, number one, uh, the fact that after eighteen or twenty years of you know kicking ass in Gotham, Clark Kent is acting like. This is some new crime. This is a wave. new thing. This is some brand new thing that no one has ever copped to before. This is like if someone right now at like uh, Huffington Post or BuzzFeed was like, "Hey, do you hear about this Jeffrey Dahmer guy? He killed a bunch of people." Because that's how fucking old it is. He was arrested in the nineties in ninety four. It's like I mean, you, and you see that you see the. You see the disconnect even within the the film because I mean like the they show the paper mm. of him of him branding that sex offender and it's very much clear that you know you know Bat Vigilante has done this so it is in the paper but yet just for the for the sake of uh, needing uh, Clark Kent to build animosity towards the the character of Superman they then fashion this completely separate storyline where it's it's no one cares about it. Yeah, it's oh it yeah it's it yeah it's manufacturing like they set up they set up Batman to hate Superman uh, in the initial scenes and I can't fault that. Yeah. If it was the new Batman, if he was just if he was two years into it, you know, the same thing with Superman, if they were on the even, you know, even playing field, you know, dye Ben Affleck's hair so it didn't have the grey greatness to it um that would have been fine yeah that would have been fine because that that made sense um because surely he's seen he's seen the shit and surely batman villains would have crossed over into metropolis where there would have been that because they're just across the damn bay it's not that far so that's the thing yeah i mean that's the that's the new uh a geography that they've established mm. is that uh gotham and metropolis are basically jersey and Manhattan. yeah you can see them you can, you can look out your door and you could probably see the, the Metropolis skyline uh, and vice versa. Well, Luther says, you know, Luther says that, that, you know, fundraising party, you should hop across the bay more yeah. often. Which is... So, like, like, it ain't no thing. 
it's a it's a flaw in like Metropolis is supposed to be this idyllic place, um, where it's supposed to be golden and and shiny, and it's supposed to look its best during the day, when you would be able to see Superman is always glory, protecting the citizens, doing what is good. Fortunately, Snyder doesn't know how to do uh, golden and and shiny and goodness. Um, in Metropolis, and it doesn't look like that. It looks like um, it looks like Gotham, which is um, which is muted and greys. And Gotham's a little more um, derelict, but not by much. Well, I mean, I'd argue that in uh, the Snyder version of uh, the world, you know, sunny Kansas looks like Gotham. So, I mean. <laughs> Which I which 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 I would argue is a problem of tone, absolutely. A lot more than than anything else. Like you said before, Snyder shows what Nolan implies. Nolan implied a world of uh, darkness and subterfuge, whereas uh, Snyder basically just goes, "My wor- the world they live in is dark. Ergo, the world they live in will be dark." Mm. And no nuance to it. And, like, assumes that, you know, yeah, exactly, that uh, throwing some proper colour grading shade on the onto the screen is somehow going to, I guess, for, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, like, what he thinks that because looking at the, the film and it's dark, we will assume, oh, this is dark and serious and we should take it seriously. Yeah. Because the overriding opinion that I had of that was that it was dull. Yes. There's nothing. There's there, so let's, there was no um, spectacle in it. Like there was no there was no true spectacle mm. in it. It was it was it had all of the formulas of it. You know, there's, there's lightning and there's there's laser beams and there's you know flying men and sonic booms and all that. But there's nothing. Yeah, it's all muted. It's it's all toned down to be real. And I mean, like, uh, before before we go on to um, uh, a plot point that I would argue uh, leads directly into the, uh, you know, spectacle that the movie takes its name from, I kind of just want to, like, look at that, that thing about uh, that, that point you made, just about, um, like, the sincere lack of joy. Absolutely. In this film. And, and in Man of Steel. Because, I mean, I mean, obviously not to, you know, dish on the competition or anything like that, but Marvel has proven, and not perfectly, I, I am not a fan of Age of Ultron or anything like that, but, I, you know, those movies at least have proven that you can have moments of pathos and drama while still having a bright colour palette, mm. if nothing else, you know, but they, but God forbid they even manage to squeeze some jokes in there. You see a character smile every now and then. Yeah. This, this behemoth of a film is two and a half hours long, and I think I saw maybe one and a half smiles in the entire thing. Oh, if you're lucky. There is a grimness... There is a grimness that, frankly, just wears you down. And, and most of those smiles were done by Lex Luthor. And whatever, 
this is true, which I would argue that we're drawn more from psychosis than any sense of uh, true happiness. But I mean, it, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to actually enjoy a film like that, even if you want to, purely because the film seems so determined that you don't enjoy it. Yeah, this is a serious story. We are tearing it's serious so, things it's, it's, about yeah. two it's, literal gods attacking each other for no exactly. real reason. It's so ponderously and like bludgeoningly insists that you accept that this is a serious, dramatical story that it it refuses even the premise that there could be a moment of happiness in it. And so, I mean, to be honest, after two and a half hours, I it, it wore me down. It really did. I felt I felt fucking depressed, man, watching this. It is a depressing film. Even so. There, you know, the initial, um, I guess the initial thing of, of, of lovey-doveyness between uh, Lois and, and, and Clark uh, when uh, they come back from the desert um, and, um, and Lois is in, is in the bath and uh, Clark comes home, he's got, you know, he's got uh, you know, his vegetables and uh, flowers and all of that and it's supposed to be all nice. And they're just talking about, you know, death and whether he should be doing this and yada 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 and uh, oh, there's no real point to this uh, but uh, yeah let's jump in the bathtub together um, you know I'll deal with being Superman later you know and the, the consequences of it and uh, really what the hell it is to be Superman and to be honest uh, that's one of the scenes I, I liked most in the entire film. I hated it <laughs> I don't really? I don't think um Oh, well, maybe. All right, maybe, maybe, maybe we have maybe we have opposing uh, opinions on this thing. I suppose. All right, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you why I liked it. Yeah, you please. Can tell you why you hated it. The reason I liked it was because it actually gave us a human moment for Clark Kent. And the issue I took with so much of that film is because at the very base level, you're meant to. Uh, sympathize and empathize with these heroes. But the movie goes out of its way to paint Superman as a god, as an alien, as someone who couldn't possibly understand the, the quandaries that humanity goes through, that he saves people. But even like the way the, the, the movie was shot, you can see it. He, he saves these people, but he does it with such a sense of uh, detachment and almost like near anthropomorphic curiosity that my most overwhelming opinion of him when I watched it was the same as when I saw Dr. Manhattan, as someone who is so removed from human feeling and emotion that uh, he can comprehend the concept of, of kindness and compassion, but it's it's like it's like a, a memory that he can't quite remember. It's this almost uh, elusive thing, and that's why I liked that scene with the bath because it actually showed Clark being human in this moment where you could actually be like, "All right, he has stakes. He has someone that he cares about. He has a motivation." 
for, you know, going through this. But, I mean, even the rest of the Clark Kent scenes are mostly him being Superman, but just as Clark Kent, basically saying, why isn't Batman being stopped? Except he's not wearing the suit, he's just wearing a flannel shirt. But it doesn't really change the fact that all he gets to do is grimace and be upset about, you know, you know Batman and everything like that. So, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's why I really like that scene, just purely because in the midst of the rest of the movie where we're meant to truly connect with these two characters, feel the pain they're going to, because, I mean, if there's nothing else in that film, Snyder seems determined for us to understand that these are two tortured souls going through some serious fucking shit to have this um, moment with um, Clark where he actually, I don't know, showed something beyond... So, some range beyond just scowling incessantly at various CGI creatures. I, I think, and so running off that, I I think it shows um, Superman and Clark's true colors because they are very much the same person. Um, mm. It's just that when Superman is wearing his plaid um, and his glasses, he's able. No one expects anything of him. He is a he is a god. Who, um, who just who feels that he is entitled to live his own life, but the world doesn't let him. Bearing in mind that the last, like he was never introduced to the world uh, in Man of Steel. He uh, Zod was Zod introduced himself to the world um, as and Superman or uh, Kal El uh, being the um, being the refugee. Um, to the planet Earth. And they're trying to take him back. Um, Mm. At no real point does Superman ever get in front of a crowd uh, to then announce that, um, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can for us all. Uh, um, Thank you for having me here. Uh, You know, doing the... the, something that Christopher Reeve Superman did so well to be uh, so likeable to the audience, to actually want to be a part of this world as opposed to just yes. living within it because um, he's an insanely like this this superman is an insanely selfish person um he's never thinking of the world itself he's always just going well i need to do this because people expect it of me i guess i need to he's such a privileged <laughs> little boy that's expected to play with his toys with other people I'd argue that that's uh, basically every character in the movie in a nutshell. I think that's what uh, Snyder may see himself as. I Yeah, it's funny you say that because I really truly feel like that is every character in the movie, uh, you've just nailed it on the head. There is... I never really thought of it before, but it's it's honestly, there's this sense of overarching and pervading entitlement mm. not only amongst the characters in the movie but also amongst the director and the screenwriter which um kind of leads me um into uh hold that thought i was telling you i had this hold that yep. thought because uh like and i think what really cements this this notion down is the fact that when they go to the um, the Senate, the Capitol Hill, or wherever the hell it is, where they're holding the thing with um, uh, 
Yeah, Capitol Hill in, in DC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When they go there, that is the that is the that is the first and and first time that Superman um, is uh, is giving the is given the chance to act. Well, being forced to talk with the crowd and 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 speak about himself. Um, and he doesn't and get he to doesn't say a get word. To do it. It's like, and it's it's almost as if that um, from that. Um, you know him looking. You know him looking dismayed. It's like, look, this is what happens when you make me do this. People are getting hurt. Just I don't even know if do I this. don't even know if he looked dismayed. I kind of feel like he almost just looked bummed out more than anything else. He's <sighs> just like, oh man, because yeah, he didn't fucking be Superman. <laughs> he has a thousand and one fucking thing. powers, and he couldn't do one fucking job. I mean, like it's Scoot McNeary. I mean, that scene, take. that God. I mean, there's a man that was squandered to the heavens and back. Yeah, for the audience out there, if you are still listening, um, see Monsters. He was great in it. Monsters, for God's sake, watch it. Brilliant indie film. Gareth Edwards directed. Went on to do Godzilla. He is. Uh, just finished wrapping up directing Star Wars Rogue One, the first of the standalone films. It will be coming out in uh, November or December this year. So if you didn't know him before, for fuck's sake, you'll probably know him by the end of this year. So, But I still believe that uh, one of his best films is his first. Scoop Nyeri was his star, and it was phenomenal, and he was squandered like you wouldn't goddamn believe in uh, Batman vs. Superman. Absolutely. But if you look at the... Uh, just to... <laughs> After, after that plug, thank you, Scoot. I, I do uh, appreciate you, mate, and uh, send us booze <laughs> if you want. Um, no, no pressure or anything like that. Uh, I, I'm presuming, that, of course, that he'll be listening to our normal podcast. because Hey, well, Scoot. Hell, who, won't, who, who, who wouldn't? I mean, also, um, yeah, uh, Zach, sorry, bro. Um, if you do want to cast me in something in the future, I'm... Um, I, I do think you are one of the uh, prime visualists of our age. Your eye for a good shot is not to be underestimated, but for fuck's sake, fire your editor before the next movie. Um, but finally, what I would argue, the point that you made about um, this entire build-up, the, um, the notion that uh, after everything that happened in Man of Steel, everything that happened... Uh, in uh, the beginning of Batman versus Superman, we culminate in this moment. All the trailers were billing it as the time where Superman will finally be held accountable for his actions, and then nothing. Nothing is is basically the the movie in a nutshell. It builds and builds and builds to these titanic heights that it can never possibly hope to reach. I I cannot. I cannot go without commenting on what I have to call one of the single most hilarious and hackneyed plot twists of all time. i got to assume you know what I'm talking about. Lay it on this. Martha. Mm-hmm. So, the fact for everything... Please, please, go ahead. Everything that they're grounding them in such, like, they hate each other so much... So much. These people are driven to the point of murdering each other because they have to. And yet, the little thing... Because they mums, their mums have the same name. Which, to tell you the truth, I did not realise 
that um, that Ma Kent uh, was Martha Kent. Like, I knew it, but I never, like, put two and two together that was like, oh, my God, Martha Wayne and Martha Kent. What are the odds? That's crazy. Because it's fucking stupid. It's a stupid point. It just seems... And this is a film full of it's, stupidity. It's... I, I feel like we... We we are we are, are lingering on a lot of large things, but like the like showing other other metahumans, you know, Flash, Cyborg, Aquaman, um, like they were just they were just thrown in there like it was like they were little trailers in the middle of a goddamn film, which once again poorly paced. Even Marvel has the the good taste to actually tease their shit at the end of the movie. Absolutely. Just, or do it in little subtle ways, you know, like they were doing with Wonder Woman. You know, she actually comes into the story. You never actually know her name. You know who names her? Fucking Lex Luthor. Exactly. He he names them and he gives them <laughs> God's damn insignias. Like he, he gets his design department to be like, hey, could you sort this out for these guys? They'll probably wear them later on in the piece. I get a feeling that they're going to have spin-offs in the future. I believe Flash is, and um, fucking Dude, hell, they, they, from, everything they all I'm, from everything I'm seeing of, of, from everything that I've seen of this Flash, good fucking God. Well, it's, um, it's, 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 what's his name? Um, yeah, Warflower. I, 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 it's, it's Ezra something. Um, yeah, Warflower. Um, we need to talk about Kevin. So, I mean, the kid's got chops. So, I mean, if, if the, if the. I just the don't part's think good. He has, I mean, the, I guess the part's good. I just don't think he has chops for to play. Um, I believe he's playing Barry Allen, um, who is supposed to be a um, a CSI investigator, like a crime scene investigator. Um, right. Who um, is laboring over a cold case um, of his mother's murder, uh, presumably by his father. Um, and uh, then he gets struck by lightning, and then he becomes uh, the Flash. Whereas this is a uh, a man bunned, uh, scraggly facial head uh, young man, uh, not unlike ourselves, uh, <laughs> who just happens to have uh, a connection to the Speed Force. Hey man, you know, man bunned people can can be CSI people too. Don't discriminate. Oh, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm sure they can. I just... If you're out there, listener, uh, please get in contact with me. Uh, I would love to find out how yeah, you're if you if, if, if you have a man bun um, and are in uh, crime scene investigation uh, type uh, career choices, uh, by all means, we, we'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, tell yeah. us how you're able to keep that man bun so silky smooth and shiny soft. Oh, maybe even. Uh, and is that the suit? The the suit we see in the in the dream sequence is that his his real suit? Is that just an armored version of his suit? So travel can, through time, yeah. Uh, traverse time, but also dreams. That was. I mean, well, look. That was just another another list of things that uh, just straight up was not narratively clear and didn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And 
you know what they like they were referencing they were referencing uh the comic books they were referencing uh crisis on infinite earths um when uh flash barry allen um he sacrifices his life in order to run so fast that he's able to speed through time to um keep the anti-monitor at bay who was a world killing machine basically Mm. the world killing um being um and then within uh, cycling so fast through the speed force, which is where he derives his power from, um, he's then able to apparate um, in front of uh, various points in time, uh, warning people. And one of them is Batman. Um, and Batman sees um, the Flash, who he has had a long history with, so this appearance to him leaves him shaken um, right. on an emotional level as if he is losing a literal friend, as opposed to having a bad dream and then having another bad dream uh, where he sees some guy uh, telling him that, uh, what, Lois is the key? Or is it Martha? Like, a, a, a woman is a, the key. Uh, well, they did throw that line of dialogue in there where he basically said, oh, I'm too soon. Which basically nullifies the entire purpose of his uh, appearance, except for the fact that he needed to appear. Yeah, exactly. To to place it on, and it's like, well, even then, he didn't need to appear because <laughs> you had just had a dream sequence, which is also a uh, you know a vision into the future of um, the the world taken over by the. Uh, I believe is going to be the next big bad for Justice League, Darkseid. Um, the, 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 the Thanos of DC. Well, okay, so... Um, well, I mean, Darkseid came first. Thanos is... Yeah, so Darkseid came th- first. Uh, then they created Thanos based on him. Then DC countered with that and created Mongol, which is based off Thanos. Because, of course, they did. Of course they did. Lovely, I love and, it. <laughs> and that is the first. So, and then that that dream sequence. That is the first time you actually see Batman fight as Batman. And when I say as Batman, mm. I mean not at all because he's shooting the fuck up people. Because he kills everybody. And he's in daylight, so you know these are you know he he's not using guns. You know, Batman doesn't use guns, and he doesn't uh, normally operate uh, in the daytime. So this is the first time we're actually seeing him. Uh, fight as opposed to um, slinking away in an abandoned house after he brands um, a sex trafficker. I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. So he. Um, I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I assume that that's what he was doing with all the um, all those women in the cages. Um, yeah. So that's the first time we get to see him. This is the <coughs> first time that we get to. Um, find out what this Batman's all about. Uh, and it's this isn't how he fights at all. We have to wait an hour no. 45 to actually see one the you know, the, the, the main character of this film actually do what he is supposed to do. That is insanely bad, like, pacing of a film. This harkens back to... What we were saying earlier, it's so badly paced. It's so poorly put together. Yeah. I don't understand how these people have their jobs. This needs to be 
this just had to be a good film. Didn't have to be a great film. Just had to be a good film. That's the thing that I just don't really. I mean, like the thing that dismays me the most is because I I know for a fact that it could be a good film. Because we've seen people make good Superman films. We have seen people make good Batman films. There is absolutely nothing to suggest or to stop anyone from making a good movie that has both of them in it. Absolutely. There, the problem, there is a good Batman and, Superman and, film. Mm. It's just an animated film. It is fantastic. <laughs> absolutely. Which one is uh, it? It is the, the, Batman, the, the Batman Superman movie, uh, World's Finest. It is based on the, um, the animated series. There you go. Look it up, everyone. Um, so it's it's good. It's real good. I was telling I was telling you the other day that I, I had a theory yes. uh, about this film. Eagerly awaited theory. And uh, and about and about DC films in general that I feel basically uh, sums up the shortcomings of Man of Steel. Also, Batman v Superman, and um, look, I don't, I don't like to, you know, jump the, the shark on any of this, but we got our bats. If bat we follow the same Batman. trajectory, I mean, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all the same. It's all the same screen. It's the same scriptwriter. It's Chris Terrio again, Snyder again for uh, the Justice League film. Mm-hmm. It and and it basically is this. I mean, leaving leaving aside, I kind of like put a split between um, the the end of the Nolan films. I would consider the first film of this new DC era to be the aborted Green Lantern film. Yeah, okay, I'll get behind that. And 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 the point and the point that and the point that I make or want to make rather about these films is that they exist and bear with me here (laughs) they exist as self-contained apologias they are films that exist on the understanding that people are going to be disappointed by them but within themselves, their main purpose is basically to promise that next time it will be better. Oh, man. That's so depressing. That is so depressing. But I, tr- I, I truly think it's correct. Yeah. You, look at, you look at Batman v Superman, it is basically an, it is a two-and-a-half-hour-long answer to Man of Steel... This, uh, you know, notion of don't worry, we understand that you know millions dead is a bad thing. Don't worry, we we will address it, but also not really. And don't worry about that because the next movie, which we will set up, you know, progress plot progression of plot and pacing of the film be damned, we will set up a film that's going to be way better than this one. And, and and that's 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 truly what I think it is. Every single one of these films is uh, is a an answer to the one that came before it, and b a promise of something that's going to be better in the future. Your... I mean, how could it not be? This 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 movie was called Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. So you knew 
even before we saw that hackneyed ass fucking Martha uh, mums of the same name plot twist, you knew that as much as they were going to fight, they weren't really. No. At, but like before the movie was out, they were gonna have to fucking solve their differences, which took takes like every moment of drama out of the the film before it's even begun. Yeah, well, they. I mean, even in the trailers. Yeah, in the trailers, they showed. The trailers. They showed. They, they already. Wonder they Woman already. And they they showed already. They already. Fighting, like getting together, all t- all three of them. It's like, oh, well, there you go. They showed them fighting Doomsday. <laughs> At the end of that trailer, they showed them fighting Doomsday. They were all teamed up. So you already knew that the the fight was invalid before it even began. I mean, this is this is this is. This is shit that, like, film school grads would not get away with. You are nullifying the primary dramatic hurdle of your film in service of a film that hasn't even been made. Yeah. And you know what You know what uh, a good trailer would be? Uh, sorry, a good film would be based on that trailer? If they did that all in the mm. first 45 minutes. They did all of that, and then, bam, they just kept... Go, 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 go. Because that's how you're supposed to do... I feel like you could have... A, yeah. a trailer. You're supposed to show, like, the first... Like, you know, some of the first act in order to tempt everyone to go see the other two acts. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's the thing. It wasn't the dawn of justice. It was like the... the it was like a two-and-a-half-hour teaser trailer to some justice that might be coming later on if we make enough money on this film. It is it is like a like a junkie cousin that keeps asking you for money. It's like, no man, I'll get myself back on back <laughs> I'll get I'll get myself put together. Just I just need a little cash. I just need a little cash. I, I swear I'll be good next time. <laughs> next time you see me, I'll be a new man. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And it's like every time I uh, keep doing it. Come on. Oh, it's... See the movie, baby. <laughs> I'll suck your dick. <laughs> it's... And they expect us... They, they, this, this studio cares so little about us that they're just willing to do, to do this to, to fans. And, oh, it's so depressing. Because you're right. But I think you see you're it. You're so right. It's something, it's, 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 something, <laughs> it's something that we were talking about before. You see all these characters. They are self-obsessed, you know, men. And I kind of feel like we've got to include Snyder in that list as well. This is a guy who, like, you know, the characters in the movie, uh, is wrong. Mm. But he has money to burn and carte blanche to do whatever he wants. And he believes that he is right. That makes me furious because he's not. He's not right. And that's what, and that's what confuses me. Because, I mean, this, this is a man that, like, clearly, uh, like, you know, if you read interviews with him, he, he understands the source material. He's read the source material on a surface, like, you know, at least cursorial mm. basis. He, you'd have to assume that he understands the, the premise of these stories, but somewhere along the way, and I don't know if it's a fault of the screenwriting or his own bent on, on said script, but it just it goes wrong. 
I don't know. It, th yeah, this this shit. Yeah, fuck, it's depressing. There's, there's there's no there's not much that you can say about that. It just it's. This is a man who is out of control, who has a hard on for Frank Miller, and the you know the Alan Moores and all of that, and likes those stories, um, and then brings in um, a fantastic writer of uh, of DC, who's uh, who's one of the the heads of the the, the comics at the moment, Jeff Jones, and um, this man is a wealth of knowledge. And he's written some really great iterations of both of these characters. And it just seems like he's squandering them. I, you know, I can only hope that, you know, Justice League, I've got very little hopes for. Suicide Squad, I'm not even seeing. Because fuck that film. From everything I'm seeing, I, I can't. Jared Leto's... <laughs> Everything I'm hearing about Jared Leto sounds like a goddamn mess. Uh, Jay Courtney's in it, um, so fuck that. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a man that makes Sam Worthington look like a decent actor. When will you heed? When 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 will you heed Hollywood's call, bro? When will you heed Hollywood's call, bro? Jai Courtney is a star. I feel like we should just cast him as Han Solo in the. Han Solo film and then basically just set the world to self-destruct and be over with. I think we need to give some sort of award to his agent because whatever they're doing, it's working goddamn wonders. That man it's has performing. been in in, I don't know, like, it's just, it's ludicrous what he's been in. And I mean, yeah. kudos to him, i got to say. Hey, And he I want to try thing. and, like, he did the thing and he did the thing well. I kind of want to try and, like, and I mean, uh, you, you know, bear with me on this. I kind of want to try and wrap this up on a positive note. Okay. Okay. You know? Well, if we're going to talk positive notes about this film, we've got to talk about Wonder Woman. Absolutely. was... Every time she was on the screen, she was fantastic. When they it lifted the movie in the garb, when she jumped out, she was there, you know. Oh, you know they brought in the theme song by Junkie XL. Yeah, that was oh, it was. It I mean, that's a man. That's a man. That, that's a man that knows how to score a frenetic moment. I mean, you look at uh, you know his work on you know Fury Road and everything like that. I mean, he, yeah. he knows his shit. And it was a perfect marriage of visuals, acting, music. It just, it had absolutely everything. It was the first moment, you know, watching it in a, in a cinema with a, a decent crowd. It was the first moment we actually felt the audience just go, oh, I, I get it. I, oh, all right, I get it. Like, finally. Like, they, they were actually like, Oh, we can feel good about something now? It's only been two hours and ten minutes, but we, but we can feel good about something now? And you feel so good. You feel so good. I mean, she does, she it, is... she does it fantastically. She nails it like a motherfucker. And yes, I mean, like, I don't know how the, the solo movie from her is going to go. I mean, you saw in the photo they teased, like, there's Chris Pine to her left, who's mm. uh, playing, I'm sure you'll be able to tell me. I believe he's playing both D 
Steve Trevor nowadays, but also as an ancestor of him back in that day as well. Right. Oh, I'm just curious. To, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly just curious to see how it turns out. Well, oh, it, the, cast, the casting looks good. Um, I know Robin Wright is one of the Amazonians in it. Can't which, go wrong with Robin. Hell no. She's, she's like, this, like, that, that'll probably be another film that, I think I'll absolutely watch that one. Um, Aquaman, um, I'll give a go. Uh, Jason uh, Momoa. Momoa. Yeah, he, I think he's a great actor. I, uh, I've never uh, faulted him. In what He's got a good look for it. You know, it's my favourite version of Aquaman. Uh, sans the hook hand. Um, but yeah, he's the he's long haired, he's bearded, he's he's he looks like he's well, actually it looks like, in it looks like he, the ocean. he looks like Poseidon. Absolutely. Or you know, uh, Ariel's father from the Lord of Yeah, tr- yeah, Trident. Lord yeah. Lord Trident, yeah. Yeah, is it Trident I'm, or Trident? I'm, 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 Trident. Oh. I, I think it's a. Try Yeah, I think. Uh, oh, Connie Connie Nelson's. Queen Hippolyta in, uh, in oh, Wonder really? Woman. Where uh, the hell has she been? What's that? Where has she been? She was... Um, I have not seen her in a in... damn thing since Gladiator. Where has she been? She played, uh, She played. Uh, you know... Uh, I think she was in Weeds. Nope, she wasn't. Oh. Oh. Yeah, Gladiator. Lymph- uh, nymphomia. Devil's Advocate. No, she was in the Kevin Costner film, Three Days to Kill. Oh, good for her. Oh, another. She got money for that. Hey, we got to see Kevin Costner again. Oh, wasn't that wasn't that bliss? It was blissful, except for the fact that he completely um, contradicted, um, you know, Mark Hent's message that she'd given him like twenty minutes ago. But yeah. hey, who's counting? Well, that's what he does. He uh, he sends his son son off to do stupid things, and some and for some reason uh, Superman listens. I mean, look, oh. I'd 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 argue um, if you if you're looking for a reason to go see this movie on a purely visual level, it it delivers some pretty serious thrills if you manage to sit through two hours and twenty minutes of it. And you know, um, Ben Affleck. It is the lo- it is the longest cinematic throat clearing in history. Mm. <laughs> um, Jeremy <laughs> Irons. Uh, we haven't actually talked about him. He's pretty good in it. No. Too. Well, I mean, he doesn't get enough to do. I mean, there's so many people that we could talk about. We could talk about Lawrence Jeremy Irons. We, could, we, uh, we we talked about Scoop and Gary a little bit. We could talk about Lawrence Fishburne. We could talk about Amy Adams. But I mean, like to be perfectly frank. None of them get to do anything in this film. No, they get to they get to they get to stand around, or you know, looking like they wish they had uh, more lines, and that's about it. Mm. So I mean, I kind of don't want to, you know, you know, do them the the disservice of being like, you know, actually they were really good in this film. I mean, look, you know these people; they're going to be fucking good in this movie. You know, they'd be good no matter what. They can turn trash into gold. My, you know, the only thing I'll say is that I wish they had more to do. Absolutely. I I think if they if they t- 
took their time to read, you know, to do a, a couple more, um, couple more runs through that uh, script, um, refine it, make it a little more sensical, um, and not cut away at it, um, almost in the last minute, just so they can, um, you know, tease a um, a different cut of it for the uh, the Blu-ray release. Mm. I mean, uh, that 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 irks me mightily. That uh, absolutely was you it a un- week you, before? You, you 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 undercut you undercut the release of your own movie the week before its release by basically saying that the better version of it you won't be able to see until you can get it on Blu-ray. Mm. Which is I mean that this this uh, movie this movie has been an absolute nightmare of of marketing nonsense. Mm. And then they've you know they've released um, uh, deleted scenes. Um, on the opening weekend, um, I've I've never heard that happen before. A deleted Actually, scene is for a DVD. You know, that's when you mm. find it out. It's something that after the after the fact provides a bit of insight into the film or anything like that. But to release it the week the film's made is basically to say, well, look, I mean, what you're seeing now is is mm. all right, but and. And you it know, is just just wait it just wait it just wait until you cop a look at the the, the, the Blu-ray because that's the one that's actually going to be good. You are wasting your money. Yeah, and it, and and you you are you probably bet you probably better to wait wait for this film until it comes out on uh, on Blu-ray. Because for better, I mean, yeah, for better for better or for worse, you should see the film in the way that it was intended to be seen. Yeah, and that is yeah. It will. I don't know if it will be um, a good film. In that iteration, but it'll probably be the better version of that film. Snyder's shown that uh, when he's allowed to swing for the fences without having to worry about violence, he's actually very, very good. Hmm. Have we have we have we exhausted ourselves? I think we've. Ex- I I think this this film oh, has that, exhausted have, me. Um, I've. <laughs> I was going to say, have we kind of have we kind of run this into the ground a little bit? We have. We have. Taken it into the stratosphere to the limit, <laughs> and a nuclear bomb Take has fired us. And now we are Superman, and there is no sunshine coming out to save us. <laughs> what is what is one thing? What is one thing you would change in this film? Um, that would make you think it's one great. thing that what just one thing. one thing that I would one thing I would uh, that's two things. All right, fuck it. Uh, how I would make the movie better? I would cut out all ancillary uh, plot machinations about uh, Lex Luthor goading the two into a fight because I didn't think it was necessary. And then I would get rid of Doomsday. I would take out um, the Kryptonian ship. Mm. Um, I don't think revisiting that again uh, was the right thing to do. Uh, to then bring it back to the fact that you know Zod is now this metamorphosis into it. Um, you know, originally uh, Doomsday was um, you know he was a he was on like a, a meteor that was. Um, of uh, the planet Krypton when it exploded um, because he can't die. 
uh, Doomsday doesn't die. He only gets uh, stronger, um, stronger and stronger, and he's harder to kill, harder to kill, harder to kill. Um, and then he winds up on Earth, and then the government takes hold of him, um, and then reprograms him and, and puts on like a, a mind control thing. Um, and then they use it as use him as a deterrent for Superman. There's nothing wrong with that storyline. You can just use that. Like it's you you already have the the scenes of um, you know the government mis uh, you know distrusting Superman. Um, they want to you know Lex Luthor's like oh we've got this kryptonite uh, that's your silver bullet you know it's like we don't need a silver bullet we've got a goddamn arsenal and they show Doomsday right yeah that's that's what you want because then you've got a you know an antagonist that kind of um, I guess we can all um, understand and get behind it's like ooh the government's at play government's at play um which kind of, you know, once again feeds back to what uh, Frank Miller was trying to do with, um, with Dark, Knight, um, Dark Knight Returns, that he's, um, you know, the government is ultimately bad and they are controlling the people um, and they should just let superheroes be superheroes and good things will happen. I think the whole problem with that is that Snyder already tackled that entire storyline in a far superior film. Yeah, absolutely. Where, Gushy, Gushy where because it was archetypal versions of DC characters, and mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't have the leash of audience expectation, and uh, you know Warner Brothers, you know wanting to create uh, a franchise that will last twenty years, he was able to swing for the fences, and uh, he, he crafted something amazing, and now you see the watered down, distilled sanitized version of what Watchmen was. I think that's what Batman v Superman is. It's Watchmen with vast studio oversight and unreasonable audience expectation. I think that's a great place to end that off. I think we're, uh, I would highly agree with you. If uh, anyone is still here, congratulations for sticking it through to the end. Yeah, this is... Um... Yeah, do we want to tell the audience of I mean, I would, I, I, what we're going to do? Uh, what we're going to do next? It's not much of a power um, cleanse, but gosh, uh... no. So I mean, oh well. What are we going to do next? I thought um, we would look back um, at where this mess all began and uh, look further into uh, Man of Steel and to see uh, what really went wrong and. Um, little bit more succinct we've kind of said a bit uh we've, we've said a bit about it already but kind of get into the the meat and potatoes of a it. little bit um i think we could get into the nitty-gritty a little bit more yeah absolutely i think uh this is i mean uh i guess you could look at this as a kind of uh a test drive this this is the first this is the first solid crack we've been having at it i guess uh we kind of let ourselves run a mark a little bit with uh what we wanted to discuss i would suggest probably in the future we'll be a little bit stricter Absolutely. in uh, sticking to topic, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you've enjoyed the ride. Absolutely, please uh, contact us. We're on uh, Facebook. Uh, they came from the silver screen. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Um, you can 
uh, we're, we're everywhere. With us there. You know, we're, we're pretty much everywhere. Um, we've got links for it mm. um, that you can come and chat with us. Let us know um, what you would like to see. If you would like us to ta- tackle any particular uh, film or delve into any of the films that we have um, kind of touched on in this uh, this episode, we kind of talked a lot, a lot of things, and I'm sure we're going to get to them over the course of time. So, yeah. doesn't even have to be a, a singular film. Uh, if you want a discussion of um, uh, an entire franchise or the way one film has affected another, we're kind of uh, open to exactly, uh, you know, what, what form these uh, discussions take. It can be a bit more esoteric. It can be a little weird about, uh, you know, uh, you know what? It's open to you guys. We want this to kind of be uh, a dialogue that we can, you know, hopefully have with uh, everyone. So, uh, obviously, this is basically, I mean, I, I suppose we should put this caveat in for legal purposes. You know, these opinions are our own, obviously. They are held to no one except our own sense of uh, free will and agency. But uh, hopefully, if nothing else, it uh, provokes a you know, discussion or a, a, a thought or a notion of uh, your own on uh, what a movie's like or you watch this movie or, you know, any others we discuss in the future and it makes you think. I truly believe that uh, film is not a passive art form. It is meant to be interrogated and you don't experience it properly unless you truly engage with it and ask what it's actually trying to achieve. So hopefully we've uh, today helped you... Uh, along that way and maybe in the future we'll do the same see you all later